Welcome to Attached, a platform for adding breadth and depth to everyday living. I'm Yaakov Danishevsky, and this is the conversation series focused on my book. In each episode, I invite a special guest to discuss the topic of a particular chapter and how it relates to our lives. I'm here with a former Rebbe, a current still Rebbe of mine, Rabbi Chaim Eisenstein, who I had the real schus of learning together with in the Gris Kolel in Yerushalayim and staying in touch with here and there through all these years. And I was really, really excited to hear that Rabbi Eisenstein had had taken a look at the book and was open to making the time to have a conversation with me in our series. Rabbi Eisenstein, thank you so much for the schus of spending some time with you. Thank you, Rabbi Yaakov. I didn't just take a look at the book, Rabbi Yaakov. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed it, and I read it with uh, a tremendous amount of excitement and also uh, really uh, enthralled by its depth. In other words, what you've done in the book Attached is you've tapped into a genre that has become quite popular uh, for good reason, the genre of discussing Avodas Hashem, Avodas HaNefesh, and uh, psychology. Uh, but you've done it with not only twinning the world of psychology and Pnimi Satira, but you've also done it in a way that is not superficial at all. Uh, it is, and that is a, a challenge sometimes. So you, you've inspired us, but also kept us thinking which I think is something that's, that's, uh, that is a tremendous gift for those who uh, are searching in the world of Pneumius HaTaira. And in, in another way, maybe uh, to describe it, that you've found a way to bridge Lamdus and Pneumius HaTaira together, which is something that uh, I think the world is indebted to. And I hope there are going to be many more books to see after the Shemaya down the line. To see after the Shemaya. Amen. Thank you. It really means a lot to me. I appreciate it. So we're, we're going to start our conversation uh, at chapter nine of the book, which is about anger and how what I, what I discuss in very brief in that, just quickly summarize, is how anger is typically thought of, uh, I think, for most people, both societally at large in Western culture and also Lahavdil within Yiddishkeit and within, within our, our Misora. Uh, anger is typically, I think, portrayed with a pretty, a pretty negative light. Uh, and, and certainly there's good reason for that. But what I try to discuss in, in the book is that there's actually a space and a way in which anger can serve and play a positive role when understood correctly and when used uh, in the right way. Uh, I'm curious to just hear uh, any of your reflections or what that chapter brought to mind for you. So, first of all, it is a very, very important uh, theological point, firstly. Secondly, I think for you raised certain points in the chapter in the Stira and the Rambam about uh, about how far one is supposed to go in terms of uh, removing anger from oneself, and you you introduced a fascinating resolution. We won't I won't uh, quote it. We'll let the, the readers uh, open it up and take a look. Uh, it was done so so beautifully, um, and I, I think even again for, for myself. Uh, I, I think it opened up a new way of looking looking at things as far as Kass is concerned. Uh, one of the things I feel very passionately about is that the Igeris Haramban, 
begins Kisnaheg Tamid Ludaver called Varecha Benachas the Chol Adam Chol Eis Ubazeti Natsel Menakas. So my Talmidim uh, probably have heard this from me that the, the Ramban is saying a very very simple, uh, not a psychoanalytic model at all, but a very simple behavioral model. Uh, and the Ramban's model is to speak softly. And then the Ramban says, Ubazeh, and with this, Tinatzel Menakas, you'll be saved from anger. And the Ramban is, I've, I've discussed with the Talmidim in the past, I think this is very different, but doesn't contradict what you wrote at all, is that simply a person who begins to make space for others and speak softly, that leads to a, a different mindset. Um, and when someone crosses them or when someone hurts them, uh, their reaction is that the world doesn't revolve around me. Most ang- for most forms of anger are are especially anger. Bein Adam lechavero is really because a person feels violated, feels disappointed, um, and then and then anger uh, appears. But the Ramban gives us a very simple simple model, and that is he says speaking softly, which I think what the Ramban means is being open to the fact that there are other people, there are other different shitos, there are different shifos in the world. Sometimes even our, myself and my spouse will have a different shifa. And to be able to recognize that there, there are going to be these different things. And then the Ramban says, that is the source of Hanava. So according to Ramban, there is a, I, I always looked at Kas in that particular way, in that behavioral way. And uh, you, you added something for me very beautiful um, in, in terms of the Shittas Harambam and Kas not always being negative, um, as you described, and it, as it being a part of Avodas Hashem. Now, I have a fascinating story that uh, I I like to repeat about about this component of theological anger, which I find one of the most ins- inspiring stories that uh, I ever heard, and. Uh, I relate to very much personally because I know the protagonist of the story. Um, you might remember. Can I, the can I just ask? I'm curious. Sure. sure. But is it okay? Just before we get to the story, which I really yes. want to hear, Go ahead. Yes. I, I'm curious. I'm curious to just think out loud uh, on on this. I'm curious what what your view would be. Do you think it's it's possible that that the word chaos is referring to a not necessarily the the emotion or the feeling of anger, but it, it's referring to a type of behavior, which in English would be translated more as temper or rage. And so is it even possible? And I, and I really don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering out loud. Is it possible that even in that line from the Ramban to speak in a soft way, a person could, and, and I, I want to be kind of intellectually honest about this. That's why I'm, I'm really curious to know what you think, as opposed to like, I'm not just trying to fit what I believe to be true into their unbond, but I'm wondering if it's possible that this could actually genuinely be a way of in- interpreting it is that a person can be angry and speak softly. Mm-hmm. And he's not saying to not be angry. He's saying to not allow your anger to erupt, but it's not, but the, the problem is that, People typically understand some, a line like that from their Ramban to be, don't be angry. And then they suppress anger, and mm-hmm. that leads to all sorts of problems. And I but would imagine there are people... Not saying, mm-hmm. Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead, Rav Yaakov. Uh, 
No, yes. I'm just wondering if the way that in our in our in our Makoros and our Mamare Chazal, our texts and our sources that talk very negatively of anger, is it possible that they're actually really talking about the 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 explosion, the caricature of of temper and and all that? But it's possible that you can have anger and you can actually express anger. And if you give yourself permission to express anger, you can actually express it benachas. And you can even Absolutely. accomplish what the Ramban is talking about there. But you but you're actually feeling angry and not not running away from anger. Absolutely. I well, I got excited because I was thinking about the there are many people I'm sure that you're treating in therapy sessions who haven't um found the right pl- way to get their anger out. Um and that's and that's definitely true. Uh, I, I, I think that's very, very accurate, and I think it fits into the behavioral model. The tzarechiyun that I would leave a, leave off with is, then when, then the Ramban says that it, it brings a person to anava, shihimi datova mikola midos hatoivos. So, um, so anava really has, anava, I would believe, is both a, a, a veltenshang, a way of, how a person looks at the world and how a person interacts with the world. So then it could be that Kas is purely eruption as opposed to as opposed to the internal emotion. But Anava, I would assume is is both. Mm-hmm. So but that's I don't think yeah, it's, it's a, a Kasha. Yeah. I don't yeah, I don't think it's a Kasha. But is there are there uh, what are what are the other words uh in Lashna Kodesh or in Chazal? Are there other words for anger? Like what are the Besides for kas, what else? Well, we would have af, af, I guess. Af and chema yeah. uh, would be would be uh, those expressions, but but I do think I, I think you're onto something. I think that that kas is generally used in the Chazal as referring to um, uh, yeah. We have the description of achas as being full of chema, right? So uh, mm-hmm. so. Um, one would need to to try to look at that. Um, is that some, was that something that's internal, or he was probably maybe? I mean, a tyrant uh, would often explode. It could very well be that he was exploding. Um, so, right. and again, that's not the word of cost. So, the, all right, we have something right. more to work on. Okay, great right. to think about. Yeah, right. Okay, well, I'd love to hear the story that you uh, shared. Oh. Okay, so uh, th- this story, I was Ocha to know the protagonist. The pr- protagonist of the story, you might have, we might have overlapped in Gross uh, with Rabbi Yaakov Tesler. Maybe you were a little bit after. He was a Rebbe in Torah Shraga. And his grandfather, I was Ocha, I grew up in a shul. My father, Harani Kapars Meshkava, I'm in Yud Beis Chodesh for, for my father. And so it's, uh, this is... Uh, is I feel quite meaningful to say this because I was only exposed to this t- part of Jewish life because of my father. My father insisted not in davening in a shul that had the biggest Talmidei Chachamim or a shul that had the greatest sermons, even though my father was uh, was enjoyed a beautiful beautiful uh, sermons and so on. But my father wanted to be around European Jews particularly around survivors. So as a child, I grew up around survivors. And Rabbi Yaakov Tesler ha- had a grandfather, Rabbi Anshul Tesler, who was one of those survivors who was of that chevra of the minion that we davened in Machne Yisrael in Sheepshead Bay, uh, New York. And Rabbi Anshul Tesler, to me, was, was the epitome of 
a strong Jew. He had lost his entire family, but he had survived. He was an electrician by trade. Um, and But not only a strong Jew in terms of being strong-minded, but also he was very consistent and firm in his Avodah Hashem. Um, and as a child, I would sometimes daven for those, if there are some Brooklynites that are listening, there's a very famous minion factory in uh, in uh, Flatbush called Frankel's. And during the week, both he and I would often daven in Frankel's, particularly when I was on vacation. So Rabanshel used to daven at the 6 o'clock minion, 6.30 minion. He did dafyomi a couple a couple of times uh, a couple times a day, and he would needle me when I would come in for the 8.30, the 8.45, the 9 o'clock minion. He was already, after his his dafyomi with his chakras, and he was on his fourth minion going around with the pushka. He was the one who would always go around with the pushka before he headed off to his job as an electrician, a really holy, holy Jew. Um, in fact, we were quite close, and the first time he spoke about his Holocaust experiences was in the old city when I invited him to the Tivarie, which where I used to teach, um, and he spoke over there, and there's a recording of that. But his grandson told me that afterwards he told him a story that he had not mentioned to me and to my students, and that was the following. After the war, he had been, he was his family were Vishnitzer Hasidim. After the war, um, he began to pick up the pieces, and everybody, his entire, his his parents, his siblings, everybody was gone. And he said the, the first couple of months, he he had quite a bit of momentum, uh, you know, a, a survival mo- mindset. And uh, so from the joint, they sent him a pair of tefillin, and he was davening every day, and so on and so forth. And he told his grandson, Rabbi Yaakov, that just one morning he woke up, and then it, it just, he realized he finally found his anger, and he was f- furious at Hakadosh Baruch Hu. He was furious at Hakadosh Baruch Hu, and that was for him uh, a very, very focal point in his in his amuna. And he decided that morning that he wasn't going to daven. He was too angry. He was too angry at God. He wasn't going to put on tefillin. And he he it was nine thirty in the morning. He read the newspaper. 10 o'clock, 10.30, and he started getting hungry. And then he heard his mother, Hakdosha, his mother who was killed by Kiddush Hashem, saying to him as he was a little child, saying to him, We don't eat before we daven. As a child, his mother had told him that. And so he went for a walk, and he was getting hungrier. So on the one hand, he's not interested in davening at all. On the other hand, he has his mother's voice saying, So he told his grandson that he put on his tefillin and he davened in anger. And I would imagine that he screamed and he cried and he maybe even cursed. Who knows? You make reference to to Dr. Kolitz, Rabbi Dr. Kolitz's uh, uh, description of 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 his anger after the war. And um, that that was how he survived that day. And that's how he related to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that day. Now, the amazing part of it is that I knew an entirely different man. I knew hmm. a man who embodied absolute consistency in Avodah Hashem. And yet this man went through more 
Bederech HaTeva must have gone through more rage and anger towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu than we, Emir Tzashem, should ever know. And that brings out the fact that there is a place for anger towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It could be used in the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And ultimately, it could be a petach, it could be an opening for many other parts of our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And I think often what you, what, from what I understand with therapists, is that there is an anger that hasn't been dealt with. And the worst thing, as you describe in the book, or one of the worst things would be paralysis, where a person becomes paralyzed uh, due to their anger, and they get stuck. And ultimately, this is a component. What you describe is a very, very, very important component of Avodas Hashem. And for me, as, as, as a Talmud of this, of this uh, survivor, um, it became a fascinating lesson in Avodas Hashem. Not only regards to anger, now just to broaden it, the lesson of Avodas Hashem that we go through so many different types of experiences and our lives have so many different ups and downs that in a very, very true way, we could impact on others, whether it be our immediate family or people in a shul or our students or someone else on the street, in a way that might be very, very different from other parts of our relationship with Kutshebrichu. That this man became the ultimate model of consistency in Avodah Hashem, which was so different than that the, the, that sense of loss and rage with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I think is a very, very, very important part to Avodah Hashem in general. And that part is that our lives are so rich, they're so beautiful, they're so challenging, and they're so, they, they can be so long. And long doesn't mean living to 120 years. Amir Tzashem, we should live in health and happiness to 120 years, but that we, we, we can experience and project so many different parts of Avodah Hashem uh, to others. And that's what, uh, when I read your chapter about anger, that was one of the things that I thought about. I think the, the, the part, the way you formulated it, of how his, his experience of anger it maybe allowed him to access other aspects of his Avodah Hashem, I think really is, is the key point, right? Like that, that we, when we try to shut that down and we try to suppress that, so we're, we're narrowing the range of, of what we are able to experience within ourselves and within the world. Mm -hmm. And, and Mm -hmm. by, by allowing that to happen, there is, there's more access. What I think is so interesting about that story is that he almost, you know, what I'm talking about in, in the chapter or trying to, trying to, to, to teach and, and, and offer some, some awareness to people about is the possibility of having permission uh, for, for, for anger in the right ways. What's, what's really interesting about that story is almost like he was, he was caught in a bind that kind of forced him into that into that position, right? Mm-hmm. Like he needed to eat, but he couldn't get over the, the, the experience of his mother's head and his, his mother's voice in his head. And so he kind of mm-hmm. was, was stuck in, and I need to do this. And then, uh, that, you know, putting on tefillin and being able to be angry at Hashem, I think is, uh, it's really quite powerful. Right. Uh, it's interesting. I tell the story generally in a totally different context. I talk about, I talk about this as, uh, the triumph of halacha of how halacha is so valuable. Um, if you didn't have these instincts that are conveyed from parent to child in Avodah Hashem, even though the child doesn't understand it at all, uh, then 
you know, Chasa Khalila, I we we might not have had if if he hadn't had those messages from his mother, then then I might have not been inspired so much by Baravanchel Tesla. So it has another component to it. By the way, I want to add something very interesting. Um I mentioned my father, Hareni Kaparis Mishkavoy. My my father was a very, very, very unique person. Um, my brother said at the Shiva, and I thought I thought about it, it's true, that we actually never, ever saw my father ever, um, ever get angry. Um, or raise his voice. To be, let's be, I would be precise. We saw that he was disappointed or maybe even upset. But we never ever saw our, we never heard our father raise his voice. Um, and so there is this fascinating balance. Um, I, I, I think that, that that was a tremendous gift that my father gave us. And that's a, a fascinating tension. On the one hand, there is a place for anger. And there is, a, there, there might even be a, a place for, uh, at times, for a person expressing emotions. But I think the the dichotomy that you described uh, 10, 15 minutes ago is very, very appropriate. And that is a person could be angry inside, but doesn't need to express it in a way of temper. And we never, ever saw our father lose his temper. And um, I I think in a world that encourages everybody to let their hair hang out or their pay is hang out or whatever it might be, um, I think there is something about the the avodas hanefesh of the of a previous generation um that the discipline that my father had uh that and my father loved Hasidus and my father felt very very deeply connected to Hasidus and um i don't think my father was stifled emotionally but that's that's something to be inspired by um and something to think about that balance of being able to express anger uh in the appropriate context and not in, in not inappropriately and maybe that that actually kind of coming back around to the Ramban that you started with, maybe that's kind of the bridge and in terms of the Kas and the Anava, because if Kas is rooted in, in as you were saying, so often feeling slighted or feeling violated or hurt, and it's it's about kind of some some experience of the self being wounded, but that's not necessarily always a bad thing because sometimes we are hurt by people. Sometimes there is something that we need to express. The problem is, I think, and please, uh, you know, comment afterwards if you agree or disagree with any of this, but I think the problem is when that focus on self becomes the only thing that I'm thinking about. And that's where now my feeling of anger can turn into speaking to someone else in a way that completely disregards how I'm going to be speaking to them, as you were saying, I'm letting it all hang out with no sense of what impact is this going to have on the other. Anava, the way that I think about it, uh, from the Morinaim speaks about this, the Mitla Rebbe speaks about this, that Anava is not about thinking uh, less of myself. It's about thinking of myself less. So it's recognizing that I'm a part of something bigger. So it's not just about me. There's also others here. There's also you which means that to have kasana nava is not necessarily a stira because I can notice my own feeling of being hurt or being slighted. But if I'm still thinking about you while I'm thinking about my own feeling, 
then I'm going to express my feeling of anger in a way that still takes you into account. I'm recognizing the bigger picture, not just the narrow sense of self. And maybe in a sense, that's what their Amban is saying about being able to speak softly. So even when I'm angry, I'm speaking softly. That is the essence of Anava, because it means that I'm thinking about you even while I'm noticing myself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that That is just, that's exactly the next part of of what I like to expound the part on in the Igeris Haramban. And that is, there are Mamore Chazal that we can now understand. Um, it could be that years ago when I was very young, I heard this from Rabbi Fran. Uh, different, different mamare chazal. Um, what, what is, what's the explanation of that? So the the kasan is someone who feels that the world revolves around him. So the avodazara of the kasan. I'm not talking about the healthy theological anger that we've been spoken about before, but the temper. Right. The individual loses the temper. The reason why they lost they lost their temper is what happens is there is no God except themselves. And what that means is exactly what you described before. The world revolves around, entirely revolves around them. The, that, that is their universe. And what happens is it almost reaches... A, a state of Greek mythology, and what I mean by that is, is that what what happens in I didn't read a lot of Greek mythology, but from what I understand, what happens in in Greek mythology is basically you have the the you can't have two gods kaviyachal coexisting with each other. So when when a person has made their entire world revolve around themselves, so they've they've basically can't allow any other rutzon except for their own rutzon, and what that this explains is a fascinating phenomenon. Now, new, you, Rav Yaakov, took your studies in psychology a lot further than I did. I, I, for the record, I spent time in Columbia University doing a master's, but I never finished. Um, but I'm sure there's 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 uh, there are studies uh, about this, or I'd be I'd be intrigued also uh, to. To, to see and hear about them, if the, I, I would imagine there are, that uh, a road rage is a fascinating phenomenon. In other words, the idea that someone will cut someone else off and that results, Hashem Yirachim, in a murder is, which is just, you know, almost, it's impossible for a lucid man, a mind to wrap their mind around it. But on the other hand, it's exactly this idea in Greek mythology. You can't have two gods of the road. You can't have two gods on the road. So that means at the end of the day, in its extreme, it, it, it brings out the the worst forms of the human temper. So that's that's going to be the pshat in as if he serves Avodazar. The Avodazara means that he's taken HaKadosh Baruch Hu out of the picture. And as you presented, Anava is the antithesis of that. So again, let's go through the whole Ramban again. It works out beautifully. Nachas is the idea of recognizing that there are others in this conversation. And in other words, the world doesn't revolve around me and you. There are many, many other other parts of it. And ultimately, it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu who's the Manig. And through that, you'll be saved, as you've pointed out, 
We're not talking about a theological anger or an internal um, an internal uh, sense of hurt or loss, but we're talking about temper. And then the Rabban says, then ultimately that is going to be followed with the Mida of Anava. So again, interestingly, again, we have a behavioral model. In other words, the Rabban, you don't need to go to therapy to reach this place. All, some people do, but many people don't necessarily need to do, do that if, if they're in a, a position where we're not talking about a deep, a deep hurt, but they have a tendency to be self-absorbed, and all of us have that. It's, uh, it's uh, something that uh, we all struggle with, and that's part of being human. Because at the end of the day, just a very important point that needs to be mentioned, then we'll go back to close, close the Ramban, but uh, w- there's, it's very, very human to be self-absorbed. At the end of the day, um, when I'm hungry, I notice that I'm hungry. HaKadosh Baruch Hu made it that when you're hungry, I don't feel it. So, so let's be kind to ourselves a little bit and recognize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us quite an order. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has said, look a little bit beyond your perspective and the way I've made you biologically and try to be able to see the needs of others. And so, so what we're, we are saying is we are giving ourselves quite a quite a dictum when we're saying that we should we should speak with the Adam with nachas it it is it is a spiritual mandate it's not it's not as self-evident as the extreme the negative extreme of road rage and and we go through this day in day out many 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 times times a day and then the Ramban is saying the moment in which we've done that we've gone through that behavioral model we've said I'm I'm not going to simply listen to my stomach. I'm not going to simply listen to uh, what, to what I want to say, and I'm going to listen to what, what others are saying. Then a person is going to reach that point of, of Anova and that fantastic Madrega. And I, I would imagine that uh, Alpi Hasidus, there must be something in the, even even in the self-absorption, that actually also has an akuda of kedusha, so there must mm-hmm. be something even in that 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 it's not only something to overcome. In many ways, it is, and I'm not I'm not trying to dismiss that part of that. There's an important part of that too, uh, the 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 avodas hamidos and and that that kind of musr approach is 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 very important in that sense. But there's also something in that that Akadosh Baruch Hu created us that way, uh, and and that means that there's something in there that's actually that's actually holy. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, our, our elocus is going to start with that. Um, in other words, mm-hmm. our ident, our identity is definitely, definitely starts, uh, starts with it. And sure. The Gedolei Hasid to speak about a healthy ego, uh, and so on. Um, and so both, both are definite, both are definitely true. And it could very well be that, what you're maybe what you're driving at is is that in Hasidus is a way in which we are supposed to this will be a way of joining both the Hasidus and the Musar together is to be able to find a place for that elokus, uh, our own elokus, in a way that doesn't lead to a mythological clash of of elokus, Chalila, but rather right. in which all of everything is brought to this place of Ichud. With Hakadosh Baruch Hu, where where we 
take the disparate parts, we take those nitzotzos and uh, and create ichud uh, with them, most definitely. Yeah. This this conversation around the, especially the, the piece from the Ramban about speaking softly and the distinction that we're exploring in terms of internal anger versus the eruption of anger reminds me of, there was a day a few years ago that I don't remember why, but I completely lost my voice, like to the point where I, I mamish couldn't, I couldn't, you know, talk at all. And uh, I'm fortunate to have a number of, of little kids. Uh, and so uh, being being at home, I think it was even a Sunday. So I was like home all day with my kids. And, uh, you know, not being able to talk is, is a bit challenging. Uh, but the only way I was able to talk was, I don't know if it's the microphone, but I was able to talk like this. Right. So I was able to like mamish whisper, like really just a whisper. And I remember thinking it was amazing because actually I think my kids listened better uh, that day than, than any other day of my parenting uh, career so far. Uh, and I should just go back to that more often. But I think just to bring out the point we're talking about, I could have felt anger and even expressed the feelings of anger. Somebody could have done something to me that made me feel hurt by them or ignored by them or something in a way that I felt wasn't right. And I could have talked to them about that and even said the words, I feel angry about x y or z but i still could have said it like this right i still right. i could have said it in that kind of uh you know which uh probably is sounding a little bit creepy in the context of this microphone but in a in a you know in a in a more normal way but that's that's really the idea right it can be mm-hmm. it can be expressed in ways that take into consideration the other person while still giving significance to the feelings that i'm experiencing just to, to right. shift this a little bit i'm curious i know that as a a Rebbe of, of many, many Talmidim, as well as, uh, you know, in, in a yeshiva context, in a kolal context, and then also as the relevant of a kahila in Eretz Yisrael, you're working with a lot of people and being very helpful to people in the context of Shalom Bias. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on how this conversation, the 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 positives of, of healthy anger, the negatives of unhealthy anger, how how this conversation can be used in the marital context uh, and, and how spouses, uh, you know, can, can reframe their approach to anger in a way that might be helpful to them. Sure. We could try to explore that a little bit together. I would, I would not uh, claim to be an expert in uh, Shalom Bayes, although we do do Shalom Bayes together in the Griscola. We have a Vad uh, uh, together. Um, one of the most important pieces was something that my wife uh, came home with uh, once which is a beautiful piece, which definitely dovetails with everything that we've spoken about uh, before. Um, and that is the ability to to be able to listen. Um, I, I I do this not only with the, the Griscolo fellows, um, but I do this with uh, the Yeshiva boys in, in the in YU Israel's building. There's also Torah Shraga. So I have a vod with them. Um, and I and I sit two boys down opposite each other, um, roommates and so on, and I ask them to describe something uh, that happened, an event that took place in the room. It could be a, a good event, a challenging event, a bad event. And then I ask the other one to repeat it. And I don't tell them beforehand what, what I'm looking for. Uh, but what I am looking for is the ability to be able to listen and to truly, truly repeat what the other what the others had said um and what's what's fascinating is that what the boys begin to realize is that they're really not listening to their roommates 
Um, or mm-hmm. And a lot of times uh, what they're doing is when they hear their roommates speak, they, they will react uh, in a way that's either positive or defensive, but, I, but they won't repeat to them what they had said. And one of the most important parts in being a therapist, but for that matter, and by the way, Chinuch also, you know, I joke that I, I didn't finish uh, Columbia, but anyway, and I, when I got married, I thought I was going to be a psychologist. Um, I joke I became a psychologist anyhow as a Rebbe. Um, but uh, the, the, in, all, in all contexts, in a marriage as well, the ability to be able to to listen and to process someone else's feelings is is a key is key um and so that means that if i'm feeling upset it's okay for me to go to my spouse in a way uh it doesn't have to be a whisper but it, but it should be in a way that is healthy and productive in terms of the context context is critical um in other words I can't talk about my feelings if my wife is multitasking about three different things and uh, a spouse should not be coming over to her husband. To, uh, a wife should not be coming over to her husband when he's in the middle of the dafyomi or when he's working on, uh, when he's preparing for his next day of work. They need to carve out time where they really, where it's kache kadoshim for themselves and in that periods of time where they could discuss all of their gamuts of, of emotions and the critical piece is not only to set aside the time, but to set aside the time to listen. And each spouse being able to uh, repeat to the other what the what the other one had said. Um, there is a name for it. It's eluded me. Maybe you remember, Yaakov, there's a, a certain a name that's been given to this type of communication um, where a where a spouse will sit down with another across from the other and will and it's it's the missus time to speak and she'll speak to mister and what mister will do is he'll simply repeat what she said in other words to show her that he's truly listened and then he will speak mister will speak and missus will will listen and she will just simply repeat to him what he said now i remember this is about five seven years into our marriage when my wife suggested that we do it it felt very 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 stilted it felt very very strange to do but it's a fantastic, fantastic exercise. And we should probably be doing it more often, uh, where we say, I just want to listen to what you're what you're thinking and what you're feeling. And probably for those CEOs out there and uh people who are involved in many different uh um interpersonal contexts uh when you're working together, the ability for a person to feel like that they really they've been really heard. It's such and such an important piece. I look back at the different types of jobs that I had, the ones that I enjoyed and the ones I didn't. That piece of feeling that I was being listened to is one of the most important, important pieces in in creating uh, employee satisfaction. One of the most amazing experiences that I've had is is meeting with uh, Rav Svimeyer Zilberberg. Uh, at the end of a of his shalish, now, I, I don't even have to call it meeting with him. Well, I guess that's actually to the point. I wouldn't have thought of it as meeting with him because it was kind of standing on a line of people saying good him at the end of shalishudis. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I experienced it as meeting with him, and and that's exactly the point because there's a long line of people, and it's late, 
and he obviously has a, 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 a lot to be, you know, doing. And uh, the way that he stops and looks at you and as if there's literally nothing else that exists in the world. Mm-hmm. And so Rav Meir Torsky also is a similar, there's a similar Mida in that, right? You talk to him and it feels as if there is nothing else that exists uh, for, for him besides mm-hmm. for looking at you, your face, looking at you in the eyes, listening to what you're saying. Uh, it's, it's really an incredible, an incredible experience. And uh, it just comes to mind, you know, thinking about how, what you're saying is how, you know, how can we, how can we give that to our spouses? Mm-hmm. You know, my mother would say uh, that, um, may she be, well, my mother was born in uh, July 1939 in Poland. And in some ways, I feel like even though I grew up in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, I grew up in, a, I was still in a shtetl in, in Poland uh, in, in the 1970s and 1980s. So Reb Tzvi Meyer's father-in-law was just for those who are into uh, Reb Tzvi Meyer, Rav Meyer's father-in-law is Rav Schweitzer. Rav Schweitzer was a Rebbe in Tarvadas, was my Menahel in Tarvadas. In fact, he knew my great-grandparents from Europe still, and whenever I did something wrong, he would say to me, he would say to me, what would, what would the Zaydi Yeshua Martha say? That's what he would, uh, that's, uh, that was a refrain of his. But uh, the reason I mention this, particularly in the context of what you said about Rav Meyer's personality is after the war in the DB camps, the Schweitzer family and the Orlick family, that was my mother's family, uh, lived in shacks next to each other in DP camps in Germany, and I believe in Ferenwald. And uh, um, we actually sing a niggin that uh, the Schweitzer family sang. They were Belzer Hasidim. Uh, that's now known as the niggin Baal Shem Tov. My mother learned it as a child then in the DP camps, uh, the the nigan that goes di da 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 yam bai bom bai bom. So so we sing it to Baruch Hashem Yoim Yoim. Um, that's how they sang it. And my mother very much wanted me to tell my Rebbe Rabbi Schweitzer wanted to tell that we were still singing that nigan that she learned as a child. So I went to Rabbi Schweitzer again. This is Rabbi Tzvi Meyer's father-in-law. I went to Rabbi Schweitzer and I I I told him that, and he said he said to me. And I want to tell you something that we learned uh, being next to your your mother's family. He said there were, the walls were paper thin and you were able to hear everything that was going on inside inside the in, in, on the other side of the wall. The punchline over here brings us entirely full circle, Rav Yaakov. It's quite, uh, quite ironic. Um, and he's, Rav Schweitzer said, in all the years, they lived next to each other for two or three years before they, they both ultimately both families emigrated to, to America. He said, never ever did we hear anybody raise their voice in, uh, in the Orlick family. In other words, there was an avira. I believe that Rav Tzvi Meyer got that koyach. He got it through, for sure from the Svarim Hakdashim. But there's no question that part of it is something that he saw from his rabbeim, that I don't know his parents, but that he saw from his his parents. And the the this idea of modeling, you know, true focus on others is connected to also not raising our voices, showing making place. It's really that what's what this is about. It's about making place for others, and um, that's it's. It's that kach derech shel tzadikim, 
But you know what? I think it's really, really important for us to recognize that uh, that that's something that we can incorporate in our lives. It's not something that's that's impossible. Uh, it's sometimes it, it is a challenge, and sometimes even culturally it's a challenge. I find that when I talk to my cousins from Western Canada, I find that every once in a while I I'm interrupting them, uh, just because you know in New York we speak quickly and in Western Canada they speak slowly, and uh, there they we. There's more space that's made for others, and maybe that's something that us New Yorkers could learn uh, from others, not necessarily even uh, Jews. Uh, but but there's something that we need to pull ourselves out of. Uh, the The New York Jewish culture has some beautiful, beautiful components components to it. But there's a lot that we could learn from Shtetl, and there's a lot we could learn from Western Canada as well. Amazing. And and I think part of the point that's coming out of this also is that it, it goes in it's reciprocal because if we would if we would make that kind of space and we would look at our children or our spouse or our employee or whoever it is that we're talking to, if we would look at them the way that I'm describing from Meyer uh, or whoever else, uh, and we would we would listen in that kind of a way. So then they would be able to, they would more easily, more readily be able to express the feelings that they're feeling towards us uh, and, and be able to, and again, even difficult feelings, even the anger feelings, but not even to raise the voice because they're being heard, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the temper part of it is from, I need to yell because I'm not feeling heard. And then I need to mm-hmm. get louder because when I'm speaking to you and telling you what I'm upset about, you're defending yourself or you're making, you know, some whatever, you know, it's, it's turning into an argument and now I need to, to escalate. But if we, if we're able to create that kind of space that you're describing, uh, it would allow for more of this Kass and Anava, uh, synthesis that we were, that we've been discussing. Mm-hmm. I think there's one more, one more part of this. So we we could go on forever. There's, uh, um, yeah, we'll but wrap up with there, this. I'll let you go. Okay. Yeah. There, yes. There's, yeah. there's one other part. I think you, you, when you said, those words about being heard. Um, I, I think that that's that we are because of social media today, people are being defined entirely about how they're being heard by others. Um, and the Bechina of Hatsnei Alechas of, of doing things in a silent manner and without being, without the need of being heard is, is something that, uh, that is, is a tremendous avoda for us.
Revisenstein, thank you so much. Really, really enjoyed and appreciated all of these uh, RS and uh, all this discussion. If you enjoyed this, please follow us on WhatsApp, YouTube, or Instagram. All our podcast series can be found wherever you listen to podcasts. I'd love to hear from you, so please reach out with questions, comments, or suggestions, or to be added to our WhatsApp groups. You can reach us through email using yakov, Y-A-K-O-V, dot attached at gmail.com, or on WhatsApp at 773-888-2413.